You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now present the Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Welcome to the Health Hub on Radio Maria Canada, exploring cutting-edge health and wellness information and therapies, helping you to take your health to the next level. I am your host, Kathy Biasse, and I'm a holistic nutritionist and a professional cancer coach. This week on the Health Hub, we are talking about a functional and integrative approach to treating osteoporosis with Dr. Keith McCormick. Dr. McCormick, was diagnosed with severe osteoporosis at the age of 45. And his healing journey led him to become a world expert on treating osteoporosis. Dr. Keith McCormick is a board-certified chiropractic physician in the states of Massachusetts, Colorado, and California. And he has been in clinical practice since 1982. He is passionate about helping individuals with osteoporosis regain their skeletal health through a functional medicine approach. In 2011, he founded Osteo Naturals, a company dedicated to providing information and quality nutrition products to individuals with bone loss. Dr. McCormick earned his bachelor's degree in human biology at Stanford University and his doctorate at the National College of Chiropractic. He's an instrument-rated commercial pilot and a U.S. Army veteran. Sports have always played a vital part in Dr. McCormick's life. At Stanford, he competed in the varsity cross-country and fencing teams. As a junior, he was a silver medalist in the 1973 Modern Pentathlon World Championships. Then in 1975, he won the North American Championship, and the following year was a member of the United States Olympic modern pentathlon team that competed in the 21 Olympiad in Montreal. He is the former U.S. record holder for most points scored in a pentathlon competition. Dr. McCormick continues to compete in triathlons of all distances and has completed six Ironman competitions, five of them after recovering from multiple osteoporosis-related fractures. He is the author of Osteoporosis, Integrating Biomarkers and Other Diagnostic Correlates into the Management of Bone Fragility, The Whole Body Approach to Osteoporosis, and his newest book, Great Bones, Taking Control of Your Osteoporosis. I learned so much, so much from speaking with Dr. McCormick. We talked about the role of inflammation in osteoporosis, fatty bone marrow and osteoporosis, something I had never heard of, key laboratory testing for patients with osteoporosis, dietary life and lifestyle interventions to manage osteoporosis. Just so many things came out of this 
podcast, this conversation with Dr. McCormick. Really, really a great, great listen. So I do hope you can stick with us. We will be back in just a few minutes to talk with Dr. McCormick. You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program, The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. Today's show has been recorded, so no opportunity for calling in. Please do follow us on our social sites. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and we are at the Health Hub RMC on those locations. Dr. McCormick, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Kathy. Yours is a very interesting story of how you became um, such an expert, somebody who's called upon very often in this field. Can you tell us how how you got here? What was the impetus for this space of work you're in? Well, as as often is the case, uh, when somebody wants to find answers to something important to them, they dive headlong into it, into the issue, and that's what I did. So back in 19... Uh, I'm not sure how long ago, but <laughs> when I was 45, um, I found out I had osteoporosis and uh, I was started breaking a lot of bones. And so I went to several endocrinologists and they just wanted to put me on drugs. And I said, well, I'm 45 years old. This, if I live to be 90 or so, that means I'm going to be on drugs for 45 years. And they said, yep. And I go, well, that doesn't seem to make sense. So I said, let's uh, try to figure out what's going on. And that's why I just immersed myself in the study of osteoporosis and uh, became fascinated with it. And and that's where I am right now. So, Well, with respect to your own case, it is quite unique, isn't it? I mean, a great athlete, a male, and I'm, I'm going to go on a limb here and say that it affects females more than men. Is that correct? We'll start that parameter off right away. Yes, definitely. It's 50% of women will get osteoporosis and 20, 16 to 20% of men. So, um, and yes, you know, I was an athlete. I was a male. I was young, 45. I had never taken any medications or, or drugs of any kind. So it was very uh, unusual. And it definitely through the endocrinologist that I saw for a loop, they, they didn't understand what was going on either. So. Yeah, highly unusual. Was it, does this is this a, a clear story of genetics? No, nope, no genetics involved that I know of. My my parents didn't have osteoporosis. My my brother didn't have osteoporosis. So so I think you know what's an important lesson from that is uh, yes, there are um, things that increase a person's risk for osteoporosis, but because. So many people get osteoporosis. Everybody should be assessed. Everybody should have a bone density, and it, and not when they're 60 years old, but at a younger age. You know, it, at least by 50, 55, everybody should have a bone density. Now, you're, you know, the biggest space you're in is for those that are suffering with osteoporosis, right? You're not the prevention piece. Yes, I'm sure is probably part of your practice to some point, but where you're entrenched, my understanding is, is with people that have been diagnosed. Yes, I get lots of patients who have been diagnosed and they're very fearful as they should be because, you know, it can really crimp your style to, to get fractures, spinal and hip fractures. And, um, you know, a lot of people come to me and they're incredibly upset because 
this is a surprise. They say, you know, one of the things people say to me all the time is, but I've eaten well in my life. I've exercised. I've done everything right. And now I come up with this osteopor- uh, osteoporosis diagnosis. And, but um, the truth is, you know, a lot of people have bone loss, not only ongoing bone loss, but they never probably reached a peak bone mass when they were younger, which puts them then in a deficit when they get older. Can you look back in a history of a person and, or do you look back at the history of a person and try and see what factors may have contributed to it? Or is that a a moot point? Oh, no, it's definitely not a moot point because it's an incredibly important point to do because what, what I'm trying to do is two things. Number one, get a person out of trouble right then uh, and then make them better, you know, for the rest of their life, improve them. So if we don't know how they got into this fix to begin with, then it's harder to figure out what to do to improve their overall overall and skeletal health. And you successfully can go back in most cases and, mm-hmm. you know, get the history and, and see where the inadequacies have been? Uh, certainly not in every case. We don't know, but... But yes, it's pretty um, pretty easy, I guess, to say, well, geez, you know, this person smoked a lot, or this person is gluten sensitive, or this person, you know, didn't uh, start having her period until she was 17 years old, and then she had intermittent periods for her life. Um, you know, there's, there's just so many things that can lead to bone loss or, or decreased bone density, increased fracture risk. That, that those things can oftentimes be, be determined, not always, though. I think it might be a good uh, point right here. We say osteoporosis, we all know that it's weak bones, but the mechanism of action of how a bone breaks down and rebuilds and then where osteoporosis seeps into this process process. Can you go over that with us so we get, you know, a visual of perhaps what's going on and and an understanding that bone is just not dense structure to hold us up? Well, first thing, bone strength is a combination of bone density and bone quality. And um, you can't just look at a person's bone density exam, their DEXA exam and say, ah, they have a T-score of negative 3.0. They're at high risk for fracture. Because that's just looking at bone density. They might have good quality. They might have poor quality. And um, different things lead to a loss of density. Different things lead to a loss of quality. So it, it is a very hard game to, to play as far as determining each individual's fracture risk. Mm-hmm. And um, as a general statement, People lose bone density, people lose bone quality if they have an underlying uh, level of inflammation in their body. And, you know, that's uh, pretty common for all chronic systemic diseases, depression, anxiety, um, uh, cardiovascular disease, diabetes, Alzheimer's. They all seem to have a, a background of inflammation. And that does contribute to an increase in osteoclastic activity, which is the cells, the bone cells that break down bone, and a loss or a decrease in osteoblastic activity, the cells that build bone. 
if you decrease inflammation, so, okay, okay, let's back up here a bit. Inflammation can be charted many ways. Uh, blood tests can certainly give some indication of inflammation. Is this the first place you would go? No, because there are lots of different lab tests. And just because a person has inflammation in their body doesn't mean that every lab test for inflammation is going to be high. For example, a high-sensitive C-reactive protein, which is a protein released by your liver in, inflam- in some inflammatory issues, that may be high in a person. It may not be high, but they, it, you know, it doesn't have to be elevated to say that person has inflammation. So a lot of times, uh, you're right, you, you can test for oxidative stress markers, uh, you can test for liver um, liver health because uh, liver congestion will, will increase toxins in the body, which increases inflammation. Uh, so there, there's so there's so many different things that cause inflammatory issues. So I think what you look for instead is um, other issues, and that might be uh, a, a person's symptoms. You know, just fatigue. Uh, sluggishness and um, anxiety, different things, you know, that they don't feel well. Well, okay. So then the question comes, you know, the question that comes to my mind is if we look in a functional medicine perspective, inflammation is, you know, I can't say a hundred percent, but a very large part of most chronic diseases. Is that yeah. a truism? Okay. That is, that is true. So if you are, a person who has any type of chronic disease, looking at bone health should be on one of your checklists, I assume. Definitely. You know, I, I wrote a book 12 years ago called The Whole Body Approach to Osteoporosis. My new book's called Great Bones. And I think on that old, bo- old book, The Whole Body Approach to Osteoporosis, you could have taken away the, the word osteoporosis and put in the whole body approach to, you know, any, any number of chronic disease. And the reason why is because, yes, you're looking for a background of inflammation because that does increase chronic disease of, of all kinds. The nice thing about, if there is a nice thing, uh, you know, there's always, always a silver lining in everything, I guess. But of if, if finding out if you have low bone density early on, that's why the reason why it's important to get bone densities early is not only it's easier to fix a small problem, you know, then it's and then it's much easier to do that than fixing a problem that's entrenched. Um, but then, if if a person has low bone density, oftentimes, then they can ward off other disorders because they're going to do the same thing to improve bone density. Well, little differences, but but as they are going to be to improve other chronic diseases. And the, and I'm not saying that every person with osteoporosis is. That's the problem, infl- inflammation. That's not true either. Low bone density can be caused by parathyroid issues. It can be caused with thyroid issues. It can be caused with, by a number of genetic issues and things like that. So those all have to be ruled out before you say, oh, a person's bone loss is just because of inflammation. It's not always that way. Okay. I've got two or three questions that are popping into my mind in all different directions. But you said something that um, the the bone is you know, tests should be for density and quality. Okay, so we get the density test done. That's a standard. Um, can quality, first of all, what is quality of a good bone? And can that make up for bone density? 
It can, and one of the best tests and probably the only real test out there for bone quality is what's called a trabecular bone score or a TBS. The, the good thing about TBS is that um, it, it gives you one aspect of quality, and that is the connectivity of the trabecula within the spine. If the trabecula, which are these little beams and struts that it's like the inside of an airplane wing, you know, it gives the airplane wing uh, the strength, but, but it allows it to be light. And the same is with your bones. We have these little beams and struts in there that uh, allow uh, bone to be strong. But when those little beams become disconnected, that's a poor quality of bone. Now, there's other quality issues, uh, uh, things to bone also that we can't measure, but at least that's one that we can. The problem is many hospitals do not have TBS capability with their bone density. Uh, so a person has to, if they want a TBS, they need to go look for it. They need to call up different hospitals and say, hey, do you guys have TBS capability with your DEXA, with your bone density exam? So if you come back with a good bone quality score, can you somewhat often, disregard the density score? Not disregard, but often if a person is if 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 a person is kind of on the borderline of needing a medication or not, if they have a good quality bone, sometimes they can get away without having to take a bone uh, a an osteoporosis specific medication. But if a person has a negative three point five and they have poor quality bone also, then in all likelihood, they're going to have to do a medication. Okay, so you mentioned um, a neurological connection to bone health. Is that, am I wrong in that? No, definitely there's neurological connections, vascular connection, neurological connection. So the, um, the nervous system does innervate bone and it, and it activates the ability for bone to remodel the same with vas- the vascular system. If you have a poor, that's why cardiovascular disease and osteoporosis go hand in hand because you need good vascularization uh, to, for bones to, to grow and to heal if there's a fracture. So yeah, both the neurology and the, the vascular system has, have to be, you know, optimum. The, the vascular system, I'm familiar with. I understand that the neurological system never really dawned on me. So if you can strengthen brain and spinal health, you are going to be able to improve bone health. If that's an issue. If, if that's an issue. Okay. You won't do anything to improve bone health if it's not an issue. Fair enough. Okay. Who is most at risk? Because we said women, women over 50, but uh, what are the other sort of boxes that need to be ticked off with regards to at-risk people for osteoporosis? I think one of the biggest uh, things I find is people of low weight and people who have lost a lot of weight. So if a person Mm -hmm. is, you know, 110 pounds, and then all of a sudden they've lost seven pounds. That's a major, major risk for losing bone density. Um, it's one of the, the, the biggest things I see. But various medications cause bone loss. Um, 
uh, depression causes bone loss, sleeplessness causes bone loss. There's just so, so many risk factors for, for bone. A, a functional medicine approach to this, then, you know, what's popping out here is is the education piece that seems to be lacking. Uh, I think for most people, osteoporosis is a is a disease of the aged. It's a disease for those who aren't moving well. So of that age over 50. And I think a common knowledge piece as well is low estrogen. But, you know, if, if you could write the script for getting people aware of where they might go wrong in bone health, what would you do? Would you educate people when they're losing weight? Would you educate? Is there, is there a way that we can start educating people so that osteoporosis, even if you're in a risk factor, may not come to fruition? I think, you know, your comment of we think of osteoporosis as being with older people. Well, one of the, one of the real reasons for that perception is that we don't get bone densities in people until they're 60 and 65 years old. So right away, we're saying, you know, uh, we're, we're missing a whole cohort of people that are younger because we've never tested them. So um, I guess, you know, as I said earlier on, I don't really look at risk factors. And the reason why is if 50% of the people are going to get a disorder Let's look at everybody, you know. Uh, for me, I didn't have any risk factors either, you know. So, so I, I so wish that somebody would have said to, to me at, when I was 40 years old, hey, Keith, let's go get a cheap, you know, a, a very inexpensive, non-invasive, easy-to-do test to see if you, how your bones are. And the way to improve a person's bone health is to catch it early. It's very difficult to gain bone density later on. Uh, you can, but it's difficult. Uh, it's much easier to um, fix a person or, or change the course of their bone health earlier uh, than later. Should we expect loss of bone density as we age? Super question. Um you know, all the literature says that you do lose bone density na- density naturally. And I think there's some truth to that, although some people I see who don't. Uh, but yes, as we age, we do tend to lose bone density. Uh, women lose it incredibly fast for five to seven years after they lose their estrogen at menopause. Um, and then it typically slows down, but... Uh, I don't think you necessarily have to lose bone density. I, I haven't lost any bone density in the last 20 years. And, um, I, but I always say to people, well, it's kind of natural to lose some bone density, but I don't think you have to. Well, I have a question here because I've read certain people and um, certain comments and they're talking about the DEXA, you know, the baseline. Now the baseline is, correct me if I'm wrong, this is not my area of specialty. The baseline is, a 30-year-old? Is that about right? I think it's 27, yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. 27 years old. Yeah. So if you have a baseline of the average 27-year-old, male or female, or is it one for male and one for female? Is there two different numbers? Are there two different numbers? Um, different countries use different parameters, so that gets a little complex. So, But is that, do you find or do you feel that that is a 
fair number to peg a 60-year-old, 60-year-old's bone density to? Yeah, they have to pick a certain age. And the reason why is because what, what they're trying to do is pick the peak peak bone mass, you know, of when a person reaches their, their prime, essentially. And then, so, no, I don't think that's a poor way of doing it. We had to do it in some way, and uh, we need to have some standard. You know, the fact that the negative 2.5 was chosen for, for anything worse, you know, lower than 2.5 is osteoporosis, anything better is, is not, you know, that's not completely random. Uh, they were assessing the percentages of uh, fractures beyond that number. So uh, what is most difficult with the, all those numbers for T-scores is that uh, smaller women, and that's, I think, the biggest problem with, with this whole game, is that um, like a person who's 100 pounds versus a person is to 135 pounds, the the T-score of negative 2.5 for that 100-pound woman is certainly, it, it's making her look worse than she really is. Mm-hmm. The density is a two-dimensional picture of a three-dimensional object. And so um, the smaller that person is, the that bone density might not really be as severe as it, as it looks. Okay, fair enough. We're going to, sorry? I think that's the biggest issue with the with the bone densities. Okay. So not a bad gauge. We'll leave it at that. I think it's a bad gauge at all. I, Perfect. I everybody to get a bone density. Okay. I think we're going to take a quick break here. When we come back and talk further about osteoporosis, really going to hone in here on treatment plans, uh, the formula for healthy bones. So everybody stay tuned. We'll be back in just a few minutes. You are listening to The Health Hub, here on Radio Maria Canada, a Catholic voice wherever you are. To contact us and be a part of the show, email thh at radiomaria.ca. We now continue with the program. Here once again is your host, Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. Before we get into key treatments, health plans for healthy bones, I wanted to ask you about, we were just talking off, off air about this, fatty bone marrow. It's something that I came across when I was doing research for the show, and I had never, ever heard of this. Can you explain to us what that is and how that impacts our health? Oftentimes when people get lower bone density, their bone marrow fills up with fat. And, and it has nothing to do with their subcutaneous fat. They might be a really, really thin, spelt woman of 100 pounds, but they can still have fat build up in their bone marrow. And the reason why this occurs in people more often in people with osteoporosis is because the osteoblasts are the cells in inner bone that form bone. Well, those osteoblasts, they come from the mesenchymal stem cell, which is in your bone, and the mesenchymal stem cells differentiate or, or form into either an osteoblast or a fat cell. The problem is in people with inflammation, chronic systemic inflammation, 
it changes that differentiation process of those mesenchymal stem cells and pushes that differentiation process more towards the adipose cells, the fat cells, than towards the, the osteoblasts. So the person gets less osteoblastic activity and more uh, fat in their bone marrow. The fat cells also release chlomitic acid, which is toxic to the osteoblasts, and the fat cells also crowd out the hematopoietic stem cells, the cells that give us red blood cells. So that's why when you can, you can tell when a person has that, the fatty uh, bone marrow because their red blood cell count is usually pretty low, 4.0, 3.9, 3.8. Uh, that's a pretty clear indication. It doesn't have to be because uh, there's other things that can cause a, negative, a, a 3.8 for a red blood cell count, but oftentimes... If they have a 3.8, it's because of the fat buildup. How many doctors would make a connection between uh, low red blood cells and fatty bone marrow? I have never heard this connection. Uh, how do you test for it? it? This is a phenomenal piece of information. I'd say one in 500. <laughs> so not very many, uh, but that's why I write about it in my book. So it's an important part. It's, and, you know, a, red, a CBC, a complete blood count, is is five dollars or something like that it's an incredibly inexpensive test and it gives it's a wealth of information looking at the the ratio of white blood cells to each other looking at the red blood cell distribution distribution width is is an important um just looking at that in and of itself can, with the bone density is a good indication of fracture risk uh there, there's so many uh, things that can be determined from a CBC and a, and a CMP, the Comprehensive Metabolic Profile, very inexpensive tests. And people people feel like, I mean, I do a lot of lab testing, and lab testing are you know, in, a really important part of assessing a person with osteoporosis, but people don't realize there, there's so many gems of inflammation staring them in the face uh, when they look at these as far as bone health. Uh, yes, they're missing a lot. Yeah, but there really hasn't been anyone to direct them to that. If you go and, you know, you get your blood work back, you look at the number, you go to lab online or whatever, you try and figure out, you know, low RBC count could be this, this, this. Never once have I seen could be because of your uh, fatty bone marrow. I think it's a fascinating piece of information. So let, sorry, go ahead. I have a whole chapter in in my new book, Great Bones, and, and it talks about all these lab tests and how I want a person to be able to, go through their labs and say, oh, geez, this is a little bit high. This is a little bit low. Oh, this is borderline low. This is a little borderline high. What does that mean? And I talk to people through that. Yeah. And, and as related to bone, as because related- we can relate it to other things, but not as related to bone. So, yeah. you know, with all these positive things coming out and with you talking about all the impact of different things on bone health, can we say that osteoporosis now is something that you feel can be reversed? Because up to this point, no, it can't be. Um, is it, can you improve or are we maintaining where we're at when you find people? Uh, it depends on age. A lot of times as a person gets older, their, their mesenchymal stem cells and therefore their osteoblasts become less and less capable. And so after a certain point of age, then yes, it's much more difficult to improve. But that said, 
That's why we have medications. Medications are great uh, if they're used wisely and short term. But the, the medications can medication, the osteoporosis specific medications can pull a person out of a really bad situation. And then by by all during that time that we're pulling them out of a bad situation with the medication, then they're improving their whole body health in other ways, exercising, eating better, et cetera. And, and then they can come off the medications oftentimes, and then their bone health stays better. Well, what are the drawbacks of staying on medication? Oh, lots of, lots of drawbacks. Um, the bisphosphonates, uh, the, the reason why, okay, let's just talk about one type of drug, and that's the bisphosphonates. They decrease osteoclastic activity, and the osteoclasts are the cells that break down bone. So it's good to, to calm those osteoclasts down. The problem is you need osteoclastic activity to call out the microfractures that occur in everybody's bone every day. So every day, people sustain little bitty microfractures. The osteoclasts then, then eat out those microfractures. The osteoblasts come in, patch up that, that uh, what's called a resorption pit, and now we have new bone in, in place where that mi- microfracture was. So osteoclastic and osteoblastic activity are important, ongoing. But a bisphosphonates essentially kills off the osteoclast, and now we don't have even osteoblastic activity because you can't just take away osteoclastic activity without decreasing osteoblastic activity. So without that ongoing bone remodeling to get rid of microfractures on, you know, ongoing through the years, we have a buildup of microfractures and it, and bone becomes old instead of fresh. Got it. Okay. Now, one question I had written down that I forgot to ask earlier in the first segment. Does low, low bone density always mean osteoporosis? No, definitely not. Um, it, 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 you know, there's many, many, many reasons for low bone density, and all those reasons have to be ruled out. So, uh, yes, a person can have low bone density, but they might not have what's called primary osteoporosis. They might have a secondary osteoporosis because of a drug, because, you know, prednisone. A lot of people are on uh, more than five milligrams of prednisone every day. And you do that for three months or four months, you're going to have bone loss. You can easily go into osteoporosis. And the, and the problem is not that they have osteoporosis. The problem is that they're taking a medication that's causing them to lose bone. And now they have a secondary osteoporosis. It's fascinating all the factors that really need to be taken. I mean, we, we know it with other areas of health, but with bone, I just don't think we appreciate what bone does, number one, how it works, and, and the myriad of ways that all aspects of our other areas of health impact bone. So let's get on to how to stave off or how to maintain a level of bone density. Um, you talked about being on medication and then working behind the scenes what are the key aspects of a treatment plan that you put into place with somebody? Um, diet is number one and exercise is number two. So in diet, uh, if they have sensitivity issues such as dairy or gluten, then they need to get off of those. Uh, gluten can cause bone loss in two different ways. Um, if a person's sensitive, if they're not sensitive, then there's no reason to be gluten-free. But if they're sensitive, it can cause a 
decrease in their ability to absorb nutrients, and it can cause an increase in inflammation. So a person cannot have, so celiac disease is when a person is uh, very, very sensitive to gluten, and it causes damage to the little villi, the little uh, projections in the person's gut that allows for absorption of nutrients. But a person can have sensitivity to gluten and not have celiac disease. They can, they're, they can have no damage at all to their villi in their gut and still have bone loss from gluten. And the reason why is because I think one of the most important things I'll say today is this. Osteoclasts, the cells that break down bone, are a form of a white blood cell. They come from the same stem cell as your white blood cells come from. I'll say that again because it's so important. So your hematopoietic stem cells give you your white blood cells. They also give us uh, the osteoclasts, the cells that break down bone. Why is that so important? Is because any they, they talk the same language. A white blood cell, when white blood cells talk to each other, they talk to each other by signaling molecules. It's called cytokines. And those same cytokines uh, also stimulate the osteoclast. So anything that increases your immune system, anything uh, activity, anything that increases white blood cell activity is also going to increase osteoclastic activity and a breakdown of bone. So if you have a sensitivity to gluten, even though it's not severe enough to cause damage in your gut, if it's increasing white blood cell activity, your body is now releasing more pro-inflammatory cytokines, i.e. inflammation, and that's going to stimulate the osteoclast to break down bone. So anything that does that, any increase in, in um, the immune system is going to increase uh, osteoclastic activity. Hmm. So then back to the blood tests. And my mind is going at warp speed here. If you get a blood test back and you've got elevated white blood cell count, should we be looking at bone as well? I talk about a um, a ratio in in the uh, that you can determine in the in the CBC in the complete blood count, and you look at the ratio of neutrophils to lymphocytes, and yes, that will give you an indication of, of bone loss. Um, it's called an NLR ratio or a neutrophil to lymphocyte ratio. Uh, and yes, yeah, so that's, that's a, a uh, it, it's a, it's a quick, easy, cheap way to look at your immune system. That ratio is used in other areas of health, is it not as well? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, what about supplementation? So I'm assuming, you know, to, to, I, I, I want to talk about supplementation and I want to get to your work. So I, I'm just going to sum up diet, whole based. Or whole whole food, plant based. Is that where you're going? Yeah, I, you know, plant, but but making sure that you have enough protein. So mm-hmm. eliminating those things that you're sensitive to, and then yes, plants. Uh, you know, uh, they not only have important bioactive compounds with them that help limit or contain inflammation, but they also give us a lot of good. Um, uh, alkaline minerals, potassium, sodium, uh, magnesium, calcium, and those alkalinizing minerals buffer hydrogen ions that, that, uh, make our 
blood pH drop. And when blood pH drops below 7.3, that will then increase parathyroid hormone production uh, uh, from your parathyroid glands, which then stimulates the osteoclast to break down bone. So we need to keep that blood pH good. And and one of the ways to do that is by eating a a plant-based diet. That said, we need to make sure we get some, you know, at least 60, 70 grams of protein a day because what is bone? It's protein impregnated with with minerals, but we need to have a good base of protein. Thank you for that. Uh, when, you know, a lot of practitioners will say get enough protein, but you try and knock down a number and it's, it's, a, it's a hard one for people to put a number on. So 60 to 70 grams of protein per day. We have a, a ballpark. I know it's very individualized, but at least we have a ballpark. Now, is supplementation of any value? It is, and but don't rely on calcium as being the end-all, be-all answer to osteoporosis. It's not. Uh, it is not necessary. Everybody needs a certain amount of calcium, but the real uh, issue here is not calcium. It's the rela- ratio, uh, the relationship between osteoclastic and osteoblastic activity. You can take all the calcium you want, but if your osteoclastic activity is ramped up and your osteoblastic activity is, is poor, you're not going to, you know, the calcium is not going to do us any good. But um, yes, everybody needs, you know, I, I'd say a thousand to 1200 milligrams of calcium a day. So, so oftentimes I'll recommend to people 500 to 700 supplemental calcium because they're going to get, if they're eating a good diet, um, even if it doesn't have dairy, they should be able to get, 600, 700 milligrams of, of calcium uh, or more if they're eating, you know, things like um, sardines and, and good vegetables and uh, a little bit of dairy, but don't rely on dairy to get your calcium. But vitamin D, K, uh, trace minerals, those are all incredibly important. And exercise, and ex- bearing exercise. You don't exercise then number one, exercise stimulates your muscles. Your muscles then send myokines, signaling molecules, to your bones to say they're still needed. If you don't exercise, you're never telling your bones that they're still needed. So running anything, any type of exercise, any movement, or do you prescribe certain movements? Um, Brisk walking. You can't just walk leisurely, but brisk walking, running, uh, lightweights. Um, there's a whole, uh, I mean, I, I recommend to people that they go to a gym. Uh, number one, if they pay for it, they're going to use it more instead of just doing a home program. Uh, but number two, there's often incredibly good, uh, either physical therapists or, or, or personal trainers that can teach you exercises to keep you engaged, but also safe and, one of the worst things to do is flexion of the spine. That puts a lot of stress on the spine. So, so flexion exercises put a person more at risk. Extension exercises don't. You know, they they improve the stability of the spine, whereas flexion exercises put you more at risk for fracture. So, just simple little things like that. Um, uh, a personal trainer or PT um, can 
can walk a person through and make sure they're safe. I'm going to assume that if someone is diagnosed with osteoporosis, this is something they should be letting their trainer know, their physiotherapist know something because it would be different different types of uh, care. Uh, This is just a personal question because it just popped into my mind. Is there an osteoblast, osteoclast ratio that you can get? No. No. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. I thought that would be too easy. But there are bone turnover markers that you can look at to – to uh, kind of guess at that answer to that question. So a C-telopeptide is a bone resorption marker that looks at osteoclastic activity, that mirrors osteoclastic activity, and a P1NP, or what's called a pro-collagen type 1 N-terminal pro-peptide, is a blood, another blood test for osteoblastic activity. So... I look at the CTX and P1NP as a ratio, and I try to go like a 10 to 1, 9.5 to 1 uh, ratio, and that mirrors osteoblastic, osteoclastic activity, but it's not definitive by any means. You can't really look at, at the osteoclast or osteoblast. Okay. But that's the best that we can come by, and it's not a bad way to go. So my final question to you is this. Is the health of your bones a reflection of the rest of your health, or can it be an indicator of health? Another super question. Um, I think it's an indicator because, uh, uh, yeah, I think it's, I would think it would be better to say it was an indicator than a reflection because there's certainly a lot of people with low bone density and their health otherwise is, is stellar. So, but not always for sure. Because I think if you can, if you look at it that way, then you're a little bit more um, inclined to take the health of your bones more seriously. Oh, definitely. It, it is. A, uh, I, I talk when I give a lot of lectures, I talk about your skeletal health, uh, your bones as being the center of your universe. Mm-hmm. Your bones are connected to every single organ in your body. They talk to every single organ and every single organ talks to your bones. I find in maybe it's just because of the path I'm going down, the people I've been talking to, this bone muscle health area is something that has been um, not well understood, but it just it seems to be picking up speed, the health of the muscle and the health of the bone for overall health. And, you know, thank you so much for everything that you do. Um, where can people get a hold of your books? They're fascinating. Um, Amazon, are they all over the place? Amazon and uh, just calling my office. Uh, we can send people books also. But yes, uh, either through my office or Amazon. And perfect. And are you practicing now? Can people get a hold of you for um, consultations? Where's yeah, I, the best place to go? Yeah, I do telephone consults, uh, just calling my office um, and uh, go to my website, uh, uh, Keith at McCormickDC.com. Uh, I have a website that they can go to and, and find out what to send to my office. And, and then we set up an appointment and talk about it. And you have a supplement company as well? Yeah, a supplement company is called Osteo Naturals. And um, I sell several supplements specific targeting osteoporosis, uh, skeletal health. 
Wonderful. Thank you. So this has been so informative. I can't even begin to tell you um, when my mind starts going and I'm scribbling down here. We, I, I know it's a great interview. Um, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. It was really, really wonderful talking to you. Thanks for having me, Kathy. Everybody, we'll talk to you next week on The Health Hub. been listening to The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi, here on Radio Maria Canada.